It was late, and it was dark and chilly, and we were all so very tired. We also we were confused because earlier that this evening, Jesus said some strange things to us that caught us all off guard. First of all, the biggest one was Jesus said that one of us, that one of us would betray him. I mean, who would do that? How is this possible for all that we have experienced and seen? And then a little bit later, Jesus gave a strange like object lesson during Passover. Not like any Passover we've ever experienced growing up. And he took the bread and said, this Passover bread now represents his body that would be broken for us. And this Passover wine now would represent his body his blood, and there was going to be a new covenant in his blood. Now, we all looked around at each other around the table and tried our best to look like we understood what he was talking about, and I don't know about them, but I was, I was super focused on my guarding my thoughts because Jesus has a way of reading uh, human thoughts, and I didn't want to be called out in front of everybody because like, I didn't understand but the truth was, I, I didn't understand all of this tonight. And now I, I find myself on the ground, cold ground, and in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm trying to stay awake, and Jesus has asked us several times to stay awake and pray. And uh, my heart wants to pray, but I, I keep failing and falling asleep. And I'm processing all this on the ground, and... And then I, I hear footsteps coming off to my side here, and, and, and I look, and it's Jesus. And, and I'm like, I'm awake. I'm awake. And, and, okay, yeah, okay, we're going to go. Where are we going to go? And while I'm starting to rise, I hear other footsteps, more footsteps off to my left, and I think, well, it's the rest of the disciples coming, and we're going to go where Jesus is, whatever he's going to take us. And, and I look, and it's still dark, and the moon is kind of shining through the, the branches of the olive trees, and and I see, I see, wait a second, these are not the disciples. In fact, they're angry men. Now I, I can see that they're carrying spears and clubs. What is going on? And then I see the shadows lift off their faces, and it's, who's leading this, these guys? Uh, no, this can't be happening. I have to be dreaming. I must be dreaming. But the cold air and my heart pounding realizes I'm not dreaming, and it's Judas who's in front leading these angry men, and they all stopped, and Judas passes right in front of me, heading straight to Jesus, and then he kisses the cheek of Jesus. It's almost like he's signaling, signaling to, to these angry men that it's Jesus who they're coming for. How is this happening? Why is this happening? I could never ever understand Judas, and I would never do that myself. Today we're wrapping up the final portion of this series called 30 Pieces of Silver. It's intentionally uncomfortable because we tend to take Judas and put him in his own special, ugly, wicked category, and we haughtily say, well, I would never be like Judas. I mean, come on, after all that he saw, all the messages he heard, the miracles he experienced, 
I mean, it makes no sense. How could he trade Jesus in for 30 pieces of silver? Today's money, it's 250 bucks. But I would never. Let's not be so quick to jump there, because I think there's a Judas in all of us. Last week, we, we talked about trading Jesus when it's uncomfortable, when it's uncomfortable. Turn to Matthew 26, if you have a copy of God's Word or a Bible app. If you need a Bible, there's on the table back there. I want you to see these words for yourself if you don't have one. Uh, Matthew 26, I'm going to unpack really where the monologue, the short monologue to start this message came from. Matthew records in detail what took place. And today's title is The Judas in Us, Trading Jesus for Safety. Trading Jesus for Safety. Ever since Jesus ascended back to heaven, he's preparing a place for us and he will come back the second time quite differently than he did with the Christmas story. But ever since he left, following Jesus has been difficult, especially in other parts of the world. But today is becoming more difficult to follow Jesus because it is not popular to follow Jesus in our post-Christian society. And increasingly, followers of Jesus are finding more opposition, more rejection, more ridicule. And if we are not careful, we could quietly slip into the shadows and back away from Jesus, trading Jesus for safety. Because following him sometimes is insecure and not popular, and we will face opposition. If we're not careful, we will trade Jesus for safety. Here's a central point today, if you're taking notes, is this. Following Jesus will cost you, will cost every single one of us if you say you're a follower of Jesus. It will cost you something. But what cost would trigger the Judas in you? The phrase goes, everybody has a price. We would compromise. Well, following Jesus will cost us something. What would be the cost? What cost would it take for, to trigger the Judas in you? Now, Matthew 26, uh, the scene is setting as uh, the Last Supper, although they would not refer it to the Last Supper. It was just a normal Passover meal for these Jewish uh, young men. That all their life they've grown up. This time of the year we have a big celebration and celebrating uh, being set free from bondage of, in, in Egypt. And, um, and, and God's judgment passed over the, every house back in Egypt whose doorpost had the, the blood uh, covered, uh, just like God had told them to. So that's the setting. And Jesus, in that setting, in the midst of all 12 of them, said, Tonight, one of you will betray me. One of you will betray me. Well, it triggered a, a kind of a intense conversation. Uh, Matthew talks about how they begin to question each other, like, will you betray him? How about you? Are you going to betray him? And, and they're def probably defending themselves. In, in Luke, the Gospel of Luke uh, is, is talking about how uh, it came pretty heated and defending, I'm not going to be the one. Are you going to be the one? And then they, it led into 
arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom, which sounds like a really sharp right-hand turn. But if you're trying to say, no, 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 I would never, I would never betray Jesus. Not me. It's not me. Maybe Peter. It may be this point, this guy, this guy. Not me because I'm ready for the kingdom of God. And and in fact, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom, by the way. That's why it's impossible for me to be considered the person who would betray Jesus. And most of, the teenage, most of the disciples were older teenagers. Peter was the oldest. But uh, just imagine a bunch of guys defending their manhood and their loyalty. And in that setting, with that conversation getting heated, Jesus turns to Judas and says, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. Judas gets up, exits the room. You know, later in the, in the Gospels, the disciples thought that Jesus let Judas go out of the room to, to go purchase some materials or supplies. They now know, or they then know, they knew that why he left the room. So after Judas leaves, that's when Jesus explains this bread has a new meaning. It means that my body will be broken for you. This wine has a new meaning, it represents my blood. Is it going to be, we have a new covenant in my blood. That's when he had that conversation. Then they sang a hymn and Jesus said, let's go. And they started heading toward the Mount of Olives and eventually to the Garden of Gethsemane. On their way to the... the to the Garden of Gethsemane and to the Mount of Olives, verse 31 takes place. So look at Matthew 26, verse 31. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the sheep and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. After I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all these other guys fall away on account of you, I never will. Not me. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. I mean, not me. I won't, I won't disown you, not me, not me. They were all pretty adamant that they would never walk away from Jesus. Peter reacts out of pride. Peter reacts out of arrogance. He also reacted out of ignorance, out of ignorance. And a few hours later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas would be leading the temple guards with spears and with clubs to arrest Jesus. And then Peter, thinking, I will, I'm not going to let, let Jesus be taken without a fight, grabs someone's sword. He's a fisherman, and you could tell he doesn't know what to do with a sword. And he's like, you know, and he just whacks off a guard's ear. Jesus confronts him and says, put away that sword. And he picks, out, picks up the ear, does a miracle instantaneously, heals the dude. And then Jesus says this, join me in verse 55. It says, in that 
hour, Jesus said to the crowd, that means all the temple guard, he goes, am I leading a rebellion? That you have to come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you didn't arrest me. I was there. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Verse 57, those who arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. And he entered that courtyard and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Let me jump back to verse uh, 56. Then all the disciples, all 11 of them, deserted Jesus and fled, all of them. Every single one of them said, I won't do that. I won't disown you. I won't leave you. They all deserted Jesus and fled. Interesting Greek definition for this word deserted. It means to abandon, to give up, and to release from legal relationship. This Greek word is the foundational word in the Greek language for the word divorce. It's a pretty strong word. They severed their relationship with Jesus and fled. It's the same ones who said, I would never be like the betrayer, betrayed Jesus. Traded Jesus for safety. They traded Jesus in a time of fear. Trade Jesus because I'm afraid that I'm next. I'll be arrested next. I trade Jesus. I ran away for safety. See, it wasn't too long ago, a week prior, five days prior, that Jesus had this incredible entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday that we call it today. And they had palm trees that were waving, taking off their outer garments, laying them on the ground, and, and everyone starts singing, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you know what? It was a pretty secure situation to be in the inner circle of Jesus that day. And now it's the opposite of security. It's insecure to be in the presence of Jesus. So we're going to trade my insecurity with Jesus so I can be secure. See, following Jesus will cost us something. What cost would trigger the Judas in you? The word, um, I mean, the, the 11 disciples did exactly what they promised they would never do. So be careful to say that you could never be like Judas. Never be like Judas. So, so Jesus taken away, taken up to Caiaphas' house, and, um, and Peter followed in the shadows. Let's pick up verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, the courtyard of Caiaphas' house, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. 
but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, first denial. Then he went out of the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. Denial number two. A little while, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them? Uh, your accent gives you away? Galileans had a certain accent. And this triggered third denial. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now it wasn't that long ago Peter up in uh, Caesarea Philippi was, answered a question Jesus asked, a personal question. Okay, I know what people say, who I am. Who do you think I am? Who do you believe I am? And Peter jumped up, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And now Peter strips Jesus of his deity, of his divinity, of his majesty, of his glory, and reduces Jesus down to a mere common man. I don't even know this man. Now, the Gospel of Luke was not written by the disciple. It was written by a partner of the Apostle Paul. And Luke wanted to capture from first-hand eyewitnesses the accounts of what Jesus did and what Jesus said. So why we understand what happened at the first Christmas is because Peter interviewed the mother of Jesus, Mary. And we, we know Luke chapter 2, he didn't make it up. He, he talked to someone who was there, and that would be the mother of Jesus. Well, Luke sat down with Peter, because Peter was the only disciple in the courtyard. And Peter added something else that Luke captures about this horrible night of when he disowns Jesus three times. I've always found this verse interesting Peter tells Luke this, just as he was speaking, Peter was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I never understood this verse for many years. Peter's out in the courtyard. Jesus inside the house of the high priest, Caiaphas. And when my wife and I went to Israel for the first time, our tour took us to, uh, you know, an archaeological find, and they found the house of Caiaphas, found, found the house of Caiaphas. And we, we understood that the top level of the house was his living quarters, but he had an area below his house where he had a small jail where they would interrogate people that they were arresting over heresy over religious issues. And Jesus was taken to Caiaphas' house and below his house. I'm glad, Candy, our, we don't have a lower basement and we have a jail for uh, Grace Point families, all right? You know, that's the first starting point of church discipline underneath our house. That'd be kind of weird, all right? But my wife and I, we went to the house and we went down below. And we had a little moment of Bible study 
in the basement where Matthew goes on to talk about Jesus was taken there. And the, the seraphim and, um, sorry, and, and the Pharisees were all waiting for him because Judas had betrayed him. And, and they brought Jesus to that place underneath his house. And they questioned him. All these things, they're bringing in all these false witnesses and Jesus remained silent. Remained silent until Caiaphas asked Jesus directly, are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, I am who you said I am. In fact, you will see me at the right hand of the Father and coming in the clouds with his glory. Talking about a second coming. And that just flipped their switch. Caiaphas ripped his outer garment. He was like, we don't need any other witnesses. He has committed heresy, heresy worth of death. And then they spat in Jesus' face and they punched him with their fists and they began to slap him and accosting him and assaulting him in that lower region. And when we were down there, guess what we saw? Windows that looked out into the courtyard. That is why maybe when he's getting beaten or before that, and Peter, for the third time, denies him. I don't even know the man. And Jesus looked out a window, out a window and caught the eye of P Peter. And Peter caught the eyes of Jesus. The rest of the first said, then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. That before the ro uh, rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly wept bitterly. See, following Jesus will cost us something. To this point of all of our growing up, um, the cost has been pretty small. The closer we get to Jesus coming back the second time in the clouds with his angels, I think the cost is going to become increasingly difficult and more challenging as followers of Jesus in a post-Christian society. And you're going to feel the insecurity, you're going to feel the uncomfortableness, the awkwardness in your, in, in your circles, even in some of your homes, where you're the only believer and you're getting all, ask all these questions like, you really believe Jesus? You really believe this is the word of God? You know, this is, this is crazy, this is a joke, and you're mocked, ridiculed, isolated. You're going to feel the pressure of rejection, and you're going to want to run and even maybe even trade Jesus in for acceptance, like, I don't want to be ostracized. I don't want my friends thinking this about me. So I'm going, to, I'm going to back away from Jesus and really trade Jesus for a place of safety. And with this passage in Luke, I'm going to tw turn the, uh, the, the situation around and ask this question. What would a look from Jesus trigger inside of you? What if you became face-to-face -face with Jesus this week, today? What would his look to you and your eyes meet face-to-face -face with Jesus? What would it trigger inside of you? Let's be honest. Some of you are going to go, I, it would trigger sadness in me. It would trigger sadness in me because I proclaim to be a follower, but I rarely follow him. I, I'm, I'm kind of a lukewarm Christian. I'm only, I only follow I only follow Jesus when it's convenient and it fits in my schedule. And as long as there's no opposition, you know, I'm okay. But I think it would trigger sadness in me because I'm not following Jesus the way I should. 
Some of you would say, if I, if I came face to face with Jesus and I looked at Jesus, it would trigger shame in me and I would have a hard time keeping my gaze into his eyes because I would want to pull my gaze down because of Jesus. He saw me. He already knows my secret sin. My, my parents don't know. My spouse doesn't know. My friends doesn't know. I got the secret sin going on in the darkness of my life. But if I look at Jesus, he, would, he already knows and I couldn't keep my gaze on his eyes. Maybe some of you would say, to see Jesus face to face would just bring me so much joy and excitement. Because I know Jesus knows I'm not perfect, but I'm trying everything I can to follow Jesus, to worship him with the best I can, and I struggle, but I get back up, and I think if I saw Jesus face to face, I would have joy and excitement because I would see in his eyes approval of me, like, yes, keep going. I know you're alone. I know you're, it's hard, but you're, you're following me. What would a look from Jesus trigger inside of you? There's two passages, profound verses that inspire me to live in such a way, be a follower of Jesus in such a way that if I looked at Jesus, I wouldn't turn away in embarrassment. This first one's a, words from Jesus that kind of could rattle us to our core because Jesus said this, that whoever is ashamed of me and my words the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. This is sobering. These are the words from Jesus. If you're ashamed of me, that at my, at my coming, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't lose your salvation. You go to heaven and all that. But I, I don't want this to happen to me. I, I don't want to... Be stupid as a pastor and make a foolish decision that disqualifies me from ministry. And I'm ashamed of Jesus because I definitely don't want him to be ashamed of me when he comes back. That's a sobering passage. Now here's a passage that inspires me to be the follower that Jesus would want me to be because these are the same, these are also the words of Jesus, well done good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. It's a reference to heaven. These are the words that I want Jesus to say, Barry, I know it was hard. You weren't perfect. You made mistakes, but well done, good and faithful servant. Man, this is what I'm striving for. But I tell you, if we're not careful, there's a Judas in all of us that when it's uncomfortable at school, I'm gonna hide being a follower of Jesus because what will my friends say? I'm, I, I, when it gets uncomfortable, I'm on my boat, and we're out to sea, and others who, who claim to be followers of Jesus are acting anything but, and I'm tempted to join them, but I choose not to, and I get all the looks, all the comments, all the opposition, you'll be tempted to trade Jesus for safety, for approval, acceptance, even in your own homes, or family, or extended family. And, I, and I've been where you're at in different circumstances in my life. When I'm the only one trying to be a light for Jesus, and it is not fun to stand out. Following Jesus will cost us something. What cost will trigger the Judas 
in you. Now, next Sunday, we are having a special service where the whole focus is on Jesus and the cross. We can't celebrate Easter correctly unless we focus on the cross first. So the whole morning is going to be, the whole service focusing on Jesus and the cross. And then in two weeks is Easter. Now we've had a, a strategy, a prayer strategy of, Pastor Kevin started a few weeks ago, followed up last week, I'm going to bring it up today. We're praying for people in our lives that God has strategically placed in our area of influence that we would have the courage to invite them to come to Easter. I encourage you to grab some cards as you leave today, invite cards. And I'm gonna tell you what I did at Christmas time with our Christmas invite cards. Took a picture of both sides and included it in a text. Included in a text. Now I'm gonna give you a sample text. I threw my uh, nephew's name in there. Um, just, just, it's just a sample, okay? Here's something to consider. You might wanna take a picture of this. Hey, Brandon, uh, I wanted to invite you to Easter at Grace Point Church. The service only lasts about an hour, and I'd be honored to have you sit with us. Let me know. Thanks for considering this. Now, I, I get that some of you are nervous about inviting coworkers, neighbors, even family members, and you're going to be faced with insecurity, fear, rejection, but with this type, and you don't have to do this, this is a sample. This is not copyrighted, by the way. You're going to face those things, and you're going to be tempted to go, I just won't invite anybody, because what if they don't come? Well, that's above your pay grade. You're just to offer. Well, what if they reject me? What if they ridicule me? What if they come and meet Jesus? Now, that's a trade-off worth considering. Yeah, Jesus said, people are going to reject you. They rejected me. They're going to hate you. They hated me. That, that's part of the cost. So what cost will trigger, I'm going to say no. I'm going to run to safety, and I'm going to trade in Jesus. My challenge to you is, as you're praying, who in your life that God has strategically placed there, and invite them. Maybe a simple text. I'm also going to hand these out personally, too. So I'm not saying, I'm just giving you options and suggestions. Following Jesus will cost you something. What will trigger you to back away from Jesus? I hope this Easter that you have the, the courage and the fortitude to go outside your comfort zone and then let God do what God can only do. I already finished my Easter message. Just talk, we're going to talk about history, history's mystery revealed. I'm going to talk about that at Easter. Let's pray. God, thank you for capturing in Scripture the tough parts, the parts where you, your disciples betrayed you, deserted you, abandoned you, divorced you. They traded you for safety. And Lord, it's easy for us to say that we wouldn't do that, but we are placed in situations more and more these days where it's easy to back away into a safety zone than to be a follower that's unashamed of Jesus. Lord, help us 
to not be ashamed of you. Help us to be respectful in our invitations, in our conversations, but not be ashamed of you. Lord, I pray in advance for Easter that you would bring a harvest of people who are going to enter your family for the first time and be a part of your kingdom and the opportunity that you have given us to just invite them and leave the results to you. We pray in advance that you do something great. For your name, for your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.